May I speak in the name of the God of love, who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Jesus was born in a stable at Bethlehem in the time of Herod the King, probably in 4 BC. Christ the King, as a festival, was born in Rome in the time of Pope Pius XI in 1925. Italy was then a kingdom, but Mussolini was on his way to becoming its fascist dictator, sidelining the king. And the Pope wanted to remind Mussolini that Jesus Christ is the ruler over all earthly rulers. Calling Jesus a king, of course, goes back to the New Testament. In Matthew's Gospel, the wise men, when they came to Jerusalem looking for him, spoke of the infant Jesus as King of the Jews. And at the end of Jesus's life, Pilate put a sign on the cross above Jesus's head. Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. But when Pilate had asked Jesus if he were a king, Jesus made a rather ambiguous reply. You say that I am a king. For this I was born, and for this I came into the world, to testify to the truth. That's not something for which kings, or presidents for that matter, are always famous for. So Jesus was no king in the ordinary sense of the word, and he didn't want to be. Earlier in his gospel, John had written, Jesus therefore, perceiving that they, the people, were about to come and take him by force to make him king, withdrew again into the mountain, himself alone. So what did Pope Pius XI mean when he invented the feast of Christ the King? Whatever it means to call Jesus King, it's certainly not meant in the usual political sense. And I must say I've often wondered what the feast actually means anyway to Christians who live in a republic. At least I'm preaching today from a kingdom, a still just about united kingdom. Though for most of my life, we've had a queen and not a king. I was a schoolboy when our last king, George VI, died. And the very first time I watched television at a neighbor's house, it was to watch the coronation of Queen Elizabeth II. And I have to say that I'm a great fan of the Queen. I have actually met her once, because in 1972, she paid a state visit to President Tito of Yugoslavia. As the Anglican chaplain in Romania, Bulgaria and Yugoslavia, I spent that week in Belgrade. I was presented to the Queen in the garden of the ambassador's residence. 
I just last in the queue. There is, of course, one way in which the British monarch resembles Christ the King. She has absolutely no political power. It's been said that the United Kingdom is a royal republic, while the United States is a republican monarchy. Because your president certainly does have power. And today's gospel seems to give that kind of power to Jesus. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory. And the letter to the Ephesians, too, paints a similar picture. God put his power to work in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. And he has put all things under his feet and made him head over all things. But to see the true image of Christ as king, we have to look ahead. We have to look to Palm Sunday, and we have to look up to Jesus on the cross on Good Friday. On Palm Sunday, when we hear the story of Jesus' suffering and death, many churches sing the hymn, the royal banners forward go, the cross shines forth in mystic glow. And that hymn proclaims the Christian truth that Jesus Christ has reigned and triumphed from the tree. Christ's royal throne is the cross. His crown is the crown of thorns. His power is the helpless power of crucified love. Christ the King is Christ the suffering servant, giving his life so that we may live and giving it for the sake of love. That love is the criterion by which Christ on his throne of glory judges the nations and their rulers in today's gospel. Love, crucified love, divine love, separates the sheep from the goats. Have you shown love and compassion to your human sisters and brothers who are hungry or thirsty or without proper clothing or ill or in prison? Jesus asks. And Christians now, I think, are learning to put that question not just to individuals, but to whole societies and their governments. What would Jesus ask now? What are you doing to deal with the injustice, the oppression, the inequalities that mark and mar nations the world over? How are you treating refugees? asylum seekers, people of different beliefs, people of different colours. And the need to ask questions like those 
has become even more acute because of COVID-19 and the harmful effect it's having, not just on individuals and their families, but on whole societies, monarchies and republics alike. And what have you been doing? What are you doing? God himself asks that question of his people in Ezekiel's prophecy. And he asks it of their rulers and leaders too. Those rulers and leaders are meant to be shepherds, but they have failed in their duties. They're the fat sheep, and instead of caring for the weak sheep, they have pushed with flank and shoulder and butted all the weak animals with your horns until you scattered them far and wide. That's a striking image of the injustice and oppression that those in power, then and now, either inflict on other people or fail to remedy. In the Bible, and especially in the Old Testament, the shepherds of their people aren't the clergy, they're their rulers. Governments are meant to serve their countries, to work for their people's good. Christ, the crucified King, is Jesus, the Good Shepherd, who gave his life for the sheep. That's not a message the rulers of this world usually want to hear. And that's why the church is so often told to keep out of politics. But if we do keep out of politics, we betray our shepherd king, Jesus Christ. In Ezekiel's prophecy, God tells that he himself will be their shepherd. He will judge between the fat sheep and the lean sheep. He will save his flock. And all those in positions of influence and power who have ravaged the flock in any way will be judged. But how does God exercise his servant kingship, his pastoral care? For the human race? And the answer is that God depends on women and men like us who have accepted Christ as their king, whose lives are already shaped by their faith in the crucified and risen Christ. And that's the message another Pope is telling the world now. Pius XI gave us the feast of Christ the King. Francis I, following his namesake St. Francis of Assisi, is reminding us, is reminding the world of the church's vocation to be a servant church, not least for the many poor and oppressed people in God's world. For her 90th birthday, a tribute to Queen Elizabeth was published called The Servant Queen and the King She Serves. That king is himself a servant, 
and in Jesus Christ, a suffering servant too. We Christians are all called to be servants of the Queen's servant King, and so to be instruments of his peace and justice in our suffering world. <laughs>